Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. This is the spot, my sons. Shalom, my friend. I, I don't know that word. It's something my family says. It's a greeting of peace. You won't find much of that here, I'm afraid. I'm Jacob. I'm Yassib. Yassib, I would offer you something to drink, but as you can see, we have just begun work on our well. You bought this land from the sons of him. For only 100 quesida, can you believe it? <laughs> I believe it every time the princes of this land cheat another foreigner. You'll cost the day you pay that 100 quesita. And what do you think would have been a fair price? Zero quesita, zero goats, zero... I have 12 sons to work the land, and once we strike water... You will never strike water. Yes, the recent rain makes the land look lush, but the underground river runs around the mountain, not up it. Our God takes care of us. This is Canaan. The gods are not nice here. <laughs> We won't be here that long. We are sojourners. Ah, and what are you looking for? A land our God promised my grandfather, Abraham. Your grandfather? You ever notice how the gods are always promising us things, but we never really see them happen? Sometimes it takes generations. Ah, <laughs> suit yourself. So what is this uh, god of yours called, anyway? El Shaddai. I've never heard of him. Not many people have, but I think someday they will. You have no home? Where's your temple for this god? He has no temple. So where do you worship him? Build altars wherever we go. And you do not carry him with you? <laughs> no. There are no carved idols of him. So he's invisible? Yes. Well, usually. There was one time he broke my hip. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I've heard enough. Of all the gods you could possibly choose from, you pick an invisible god whose promises take generations to come true, who, who makes you sojourn in strange places, and he broke your hip. That is a strange choice. <laughs> oh, immigrants. We didn't choose him. Father! Good morning. How's everyone doing? Well, we find ourselves in the very last message in this series on The Chosen. I really hope that you have enjoyed it. We're thinking about making this a yearly series uh, following each season as they come. Season two is already out. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I would really encourage you to go back and watch it. But there's, I think, up to eight seasons planned uh, for The Chosen. And so I, I love this series. I love being a part of it. I love that you can go back and watch the episodes and see all of these different aspects to it. But uh, one thing that I really noticed in that first clip, that, that starts off at Jacob's Well. 
right? This is when he's building the well, and this is a famous place. In fact, if you go to Israel now, uh, this is like a foreshore site, right? Like, we know exactly where this well is. It still exists today. Wells don't change much over time, but you can go back and see that. But I just thought that what he said there at the end of that passage was so interesting, right? The guy says, you choose this God who you can't see, who like broke your hip and and has done all of these things. There's no graven images of this God, and that's the God you choose. Jacob says, we didn't choose him. He chose us. You know, and I think today when you look at that, that story, we're really dealing with this idea of divine appointments. Right? Because when you just start digging in the middle of a desert, right, and this area is called Shechem today, uh, it's kind of getting near the desert. Um, This would be a place where you wouldn't expect to just dig and find water. In fact, Jacob's well is between like 75 and 100 feet deep is what they think the well is. And so at this point, though, like you wouldn't expect someone to be able to just dig a well and find water. In fact, the guy says, why are you even digging here? There's no way that you're going to find water. The underground river runs around it. It's called an aquifer. And so why are you here? And Jacob says, well, this is like where God told me to dig. And so I'm going to dig where God tells me to dig. And you're going to be here as a person of Cana to see this moment. You're going to testify to El Shaddai, right? You're going to testify to God who's going to see this moment. And that well becomes the centerpiece for so many people in the world at this time, right? One of the things that you need most in the desert is water, right? And so you're pretty far from the Sea of Galilee or the Jordan River at this point, and so you really need a well in this place. But have you ever had one of those moments where you just had this divine appointment come together, that you, you were in need of something or needed encouragement or something in your life just needed to happen. And God, through his divine plan and putting things together, put everything together at the right exact moment. In fact, I entitled today's message, You Have an Appointment. And I really want to attest to this. I believe that you are not here by mistake this morning. I believe that you're in this place and in this room because God wants to tell you something. God has a reason for you to be here this morning. In fact, last night, this room was full and we had so many people. The message went incredibly well last night. There was such an overwhelming response by people last night as we take a look at what's going to be happening this morning. But it was a few years ago I had a divine appointment um, uh, some things in my life had gone kind of tragically wrong uh, in a very bad place. And so uh, my family, not wanting to kind of leave me behind, they had this trip planned to Italy and Greece for 20 days. And kind of like right before this trip, my life began to fall apart. And so my parents and my family, not wanting to kind of leave me in the United States alone for 20 days when my life had fallen apart, um, literally, like, they called me and said, hey, do you want to go on this trip with us? And it was for my brother's high school history club. And so I was like, I don't really want to go on this trip, but I don't, also don't want to be alone. So I remember I flew down from Virginia to Sarasota um, on Allegiant, right? And I was coming here for my sister's high school graduation. And when I landed on the ground, I packed no clothes because I was just planning on being here for just the graduation. 
And so when I landed, I had some school books that I, I needed, and then I had basically the clothes on my back, and I had a few things down here in Florida that I needed. And as soon as I landed, I got a phone call from my mom. And I, I was like, I thought she was just wanting to know if I landed, right? So I answered the phone. I'm still on the plane. I'm like, hey, I landed. And my mom goes, do you want to go with us to Italy and Greece for 20 days? And I was like, what? And she's like, I need to know right now. And I was like, right now? I was like, you know, my life is a mess. And I said, like, I don't have any clothing. I don't have any of these things. Like, I don't think I can do this. And my mom says, don't worry about that. We'll take care of all that. We can buy new clothes. We can get you ready for the trip. Do you want to go? And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess. So we, we went on this trip. But because I was so late to getting on this trip, I couldn't get on the same flight as everybody else. I had to, so here I am, first time traveling overseas uh, to Europe to, a, I don't know Italian. I mean, I, uh, ciao, you know, ciao bella, hello, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, spaghetti, right? Like, I know those words, okay? And so, um, so I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll just go by myself, whatever. So God, graciously, I was sitting in the middle row with four seats behind next to two larger individuals, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a long flight. The, the stewardess came to me and said, hey, you, you, you look like you need a rest. Do you want to go to your own row? I was like, do I want to go to my own row? Yes, right? So I had a whole row of three by myself, but when I landed in Milan, Italy, my flight landed about three hours, I think, before the other part of the group was supposed to land. So I landed in Italy, went through customs, did all this stuff, and when I got there, I realized I had no money. I had no money. It wasn't a time that your cell phones could work like overseas, so I couldn't call anybody. There was no Apple Pay. I didn't have any cash, and I didn't have any cards that could be used overseas. So I'm hangry, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, like, ready to go. And, I, you know, it's just an, an oversight. Like, I went to my plane, they went to their plane, and I had nothing. So I got there, and I was like, okay, you know, I'll just sit in this cafe, and I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to just wait for them to, to arrive in three hours. So I get to this cafe. Well, I didn't know this kind of rule in Italy is that if you don't buy anything, you don't sit down. Right? Like, and a lot of Italians, they'll drink coffee, like, at the bar. Like, it's this whole culture thing. And so I sat down at the cafe, kind of, like, waiting. And I could, like, tell that, the, like, something was going on. They were speaking Italian to each other. But, I, you know, sometimes Italian sounds angry to me. They're like, and I was like, okay, like, they, okay, they're just speaking Italian. And so this guy walks up to me, and he goes, sir, um, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you're not supposed to sit at the tables unless you order something. You, you should probably order something. And I was like, oh. I was like, man, honestly, I don't have any money. I can't order anything. I'll just, I'll get up and go. And the guy's like, no, all right, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll buy this for you. I was like, oh, thanks. So as we're waiting in line and we're going to order coffee, um, the guy goes, well, hey, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from Sarasota, Florida. He goes, oh, me too. Like, imagine that. And I was like, wow, what a small world. Because here I am, I'm like trying to kind of figure out how my life's going to get put back together. And this guy from Sarasota, Florida walks into the same cafe that I'm in. He wasn't on my flight. 
and he's ordering coffee. He sees this, he hears that the baristas are upset that I'm sitting down. So he tries to intervene. And then he says, hey, I'm from Sarasota, Florida. And he buys me a coffee and a pastry. And then just for a few minutes, we get to share, like kind of, why, why are you here? And, oh, it's for my brother's high school history club. But honestly, I just need a break. I had an engagement that got broken off. I, my life is kind of just falling apart. And he goes, hey, I don't know if this is weird. Do you mind if I just pray for you? And so he begins to pray for me. And it was like while I was alone in a foreign land, in a foreign place, didn't have any money, didn't have anything that I could do, this guy came in and he purchased for me a coffee and a pastry. And now I was allowed to sit in the cafe as long as I needed to. And he began to hear my story. And he's from my hometown. And then he prayed for me. And I just, I fully believe that God divinely appointed that moment. Because I could have felt terrible, like my life's already bad and now it's worse. I'm stuck in this country, I have no food, I have nothing, and now I can't even sit here. But God just graciously, in the right moment, at the right time, appointed someone to be exactly where I needed them to be. And I think this morning... We, we kind of can all have those moments in life, but let me just tell you that I believe you have an appointment here today. I believe that God has something for you this morning, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 4 this morning, dealing with a story that you may have heard before. This is one of my favorite stories in Scripture. But I just want, as we get ready to watch this next clip, where do you need to meet God today? What part of your life do you need a divine appointment? What part of your life do you need to hear from God? Because I believe that he has something for you today. And so as we get ready to go into this next clip, I just want you to begin to consider what it is that God might be trying to tell you this morning. Because let's be honest, there's probably something in your life that's a mess. There's probably somewhere in your life right now that there's a need. And I believe that God has a word for you today. So let's take a look at this clip as we get into the story of the woman at the well. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman, 
I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water, hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah, exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. 
I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. Pretty incredible, right? Like, we see that in the story, Jesus is, is clearly there for a purpose. He's clearly there to meet this woman. Let's go to the text this morning and take a look at the story because it kind of gives us a few little tidbits or it gives us a few little things to look at. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up, but if you don't, that's okay. The words are on the screen. John chapter 4, verse 1, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Let me give you a little bit of a geography lesson here. It's important to the story. So uh, Judea is in, in kind of mid or more southern Israel. Jerusalem is in the city of Judea, right, this area here. And then you go into a region called Samaria, right? This is where the Samaritans live. This is where the story takes place. And then north of that is the area of Galilee, right? When Nazareth is up there and the Sea of Galilee is up that way. And so in order to go from Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, you would have to travel through this land called Samaria. Now, let me tell you something. The Israelites hated the Samaritans. They hated them because the history of it is is when Israel was occupied, when people were coming into Israel, right, and there was Canaanite or Babylonian uh, people that had overtaken the land, the Samaritans, this group of Jewish people, intermarried with Canaanites and with Amorites, and they had kids, and they intermingled. And, And so what happened here is that the Israelites looked at them as deserters. And they looked at them as people who were unclean. They had, you know, kind of intermarried and intermingled with these people. And so what they saw in that moment was, hey, we don't deal with you. You guys are are kind of, they would refer to them as half-breed. You're this kind of people who are ceremonially unclean because of the choices that you made in the past. Can we relate to any of that in our world now? That there's certain people who we just go, because of the choices that you've made, because of some of the things that you've done, I don't want to deal with you. And so in order to go from Judea to Galilee, the path was always through Samaria. The path was always through this area where good people didn't go. But the text indicates for us something so peculiar. Verse 4, and it says this, and he Everyone say had. Everyone say, come on, louder, had. That's a word that there's no other choice. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, for people reading this at the time, they go, he doesn't have to go through there. He doesn't have to go through there because there's alternate paths, right? A lot of people would take the long road to avoid an uncomfortable situation. That's some of you right now. You're taking the long road in life so you don't have to deal with some hard things in life. There's people that you need to meet with. There's people that you need to apologize to. There's people that need to apologize to you. And you are taking the long road to avoid any kind of reconciliation. 
See, what could happen is, is when you left Jerusalem, you could go down to the Dead Sea, you could hit the Jordan River, and you could follow the river all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, and then take a left, and you'd be in Nazareth again. Or, if you didn't like that path, you could then take, go out of Jerusalem, go to the Mediterranean coast, and go all the way up the coast, and then cut in, and you can make your way to Nazareth. There's different alternate routes that they could take. There's a different way that they could go. But the Bible says that he had to go to Samaria. What does this mean? For us, we would indicate that this is a divine appointment. That there's a divine purpose and appointment that Jesus had to go there. Jesus had a meeting to get to. Jesus needed to be in a place where there was a person in the world that needed to meet him. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. It's near this area called Shechem now, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. That's what the first scene was about. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, there's part of the humanity of Jesus, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour for us is noon, midday. Now, I've already told you that this story takes place in a desert. Anybody from Florida knows what's the worst time to do work outside? The middle of the day. It's the hottest part of the day. So showing up at the well at the hottest part of the day, you wouldn't think that anyone would be there. Because how many of us know that when you need to do work outside here in Florida, you do it in the early morning or the late evening, right? It's cooler. And that's exactly what people would do then. They would go out early in the morning, go get water, go get whatever they needed. They would live throughout the middle of the day, but during midday, they were inside in the shade trying to get out of the heat. And so then they would come back out in the evening and work again. The fact that Jesus is there in the middle of the day would indicate to people of this time, whoa, something's going on. So Jesus had to go to Samaria, and he had to arrive there in the middle of the day. Weird. No one should be there. No one should be there in the middle of the day. Verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. They would say, why in the world is she coming to the well in the middle of the day? Why? Why is she coming to the well in the middle of the day? See, what we understand from these first seven verses of this passage is that Jesus, God, has chosen to meet with us. That was a literal physical choice that Jesus made. Verse 4, the Holy Spirit directed them that they had to go to the well in the middle of the day when no one should be there in a town that they shouldn't be in. Everything in this text goes, they had to get there because Jesus had to meet this woman at the well. They had to meet her. But what you and I have to understand is if she's showing up in the middle of the day, there's a problem in her life. There's a problem. There's a problem going on in her life that she would show up at the worst time of day. The worst time to be there. She was a social outcast. Things had gone wrong enough in her life that good people didn't want to be seen with her. And how many of us right now in our life, that's how you feel spiritually maybe. Good people don't want to be seen with me. 
For some of us, going to church is one of the hardest things for us to do because that's where good people are, and I don't want to be around door. Do I feel welcome around good people? But what the Bible would indicate to us is that she shows up in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day by herself at the most inopportune time. She's hiding something. She's concealing something. She doesn't want to have to deal with people. But what I want you to understand is Jesus had an appointment with her. She had to meet with God. And here's the thing about divine appointments. You can never be late and you can never miss them. Because he shows up exactly where you need him to be. But I want you to notice something as the story continues in verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So they're like, we hangry, let's go get some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? First of all, Jewish men were not supposed to talk to women, let alone a woman of Samaria, let alone a woman coming to the well in the middle of the day. Anybody ever been around people that you shouldn't be around? Anyone ever felt like, hey, they, I shouldn't be around this person? Like, if people see me with this person, that has some big consequences for me. Notice Jesus didn't run away from the well. Notice Jesus doesn't leave, and she's wondering why. Why would you be here? But how many of us in our wounding assume the wrong motives as to why people are where they are? Why would you ask me that question? What agenda do you have? Why'd you say it like that? Why would you speak to me like that? Why would you ask that question? Right? Whenever you're doing something wrong, says someone says, what are you doing? You're like, oh, nothing. What do you mean? Why are you asking? I think that's kind of what's going on with her. Why are you asking, teacher? You can obviously tell that he's Jewish. Why would you, a Jew, talk to me? What's your agenda? You here to judge me? You hear, I already feel judged enough. I'm showing up in the middle of the day to get water. Why are you here, buddy? Why are you here? And some of us, when we get in those divine appointments with God, that's exactly what you feel like. Why are you here? To judge me? To ridicule me? To, to punish me? Why are you here? Because I've met some of your followers and every time I get around them, I feel worse. I feel hurt. I feel judged. I feel condemned. I feel like life is leaving me. I don't feel healing. The woman at the well begins to talk to Jesus like, why would you ask me for a drink? She thinks that Jesus is there for himself. But the divine appointment is never for God. It's always for us. God's meeting with us to heal us, to deal with us. And so what we learn very quickly is the appointment is not for Jesus. Jesus could have got his own water. In fact, we're going to learn later that Jesus is going to go, I don't need water, I have living water. Right? Jesus could have easily, being God, just been like water. Or like, oh, don't be thirsty. And he'd not be thirsty. Right? Like, he has control of all of these things. Jesus has no need of water. But what did Jesus do to her when he said, hey, can you give me a glass of water? He gave her 100% value in that moment. 
No one would ask for anything from someone like that. But what do you do when you ask someone to help you meet a need? You give them value. You tell that person that, hey, you can help me. I value you as a person because you can help me. He gave her instant, the fact that he even spoke to her gave her value. And the fact that he asked her for something gives her more. So she's like, I don't get, what's your agenda here? Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that you were saying, who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She thinks like, yeah, water is life. In the middle of a desert, water keeps you alive. Water keeps you going. So how are you going to get this living water? You don't even have anything to draw the water with. You don't have anything to do this with. And she says this, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and livestock. Here's the short answer. Yes, I'm better than Jacob. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm better than him. I made him. I told him to build this well. I put the water in this well. I am better than him. Are you better than Jacob? Jesus could have said, you're darn right I'm better than Jacob. I made Jacob. I knit Jacob in his mother's womb. But Jesus, notice how patient he is when we're talking through our hurt. When we're talking through our hurt. Because remember, the meeting's not there to prove who he is and to fill his needs. The meeting's there for her. The appointment is for her. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what we see in this text is the appointment is for us. What he says to her is like, I know that I'm thirsty, but I can give you something to where you'll never want again. I can give you something to where you'll never be thirsty again. I can give you something that you're going to be okay. See, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. And I met you here right when you needed me. You notice that Jesus was early to the meeting? He knew exactly the time of day that she would arrive. He knew exactly the time of day that she'd be there. But we see something so interesting. And if we read over this so quickly, we'll miss this incredible aspect of the story. Verse 15, look at what the Bible says. The woman said to him, sir, notice she doesn't say Lord. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. Or look at what she says, or have to come here to draw water. See, the well for her represented her greatest shame. Every day, she had to go there by herself. She had to go to that well, and every day on the journey, she was reminded of all the things that had gone wrong in her life. You ever been there? You ever been in that place in your life where every part of your life seems to remind you of where things went wrong? Every time you're reminded that you have to maybe go to this place or go to this doctor or go to this, you know, job fair or go to this thing, and you're just constantly reminded that your sin is before you. And notice what she has to do. She has to go to the well, but the well is the reminder of her terrible moments. It was honestly her place of shame. 
But she needed to go there to satisfy part of her soul, right? She had to go there to find physical satisfaction. So let me ask you something. What well are you going to? What well are you going to in your life that you're using to satisfy your soul, but it's this greatest reminder of your shame? Maybe it's that relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, but you're scared to be alone. So you keep going to the well, and it just reminds you of how bad things have gone in your life. Maybe it's that job that you hate, but you need to make this money, and you know that you should be doing something else. You're just not brave enough to say yes yet. And so every day you wake up and go to that job, you remind yourself of how you're compromising. You remind yourself of all the things that have gone wrong to get you in this situation and how you're not brave enough to make the leap of what you should be doing. Here, here's one. Maybe it's that thing you look at on the internet. That well that you go to satisfy a physical need through a screen, but it's your greatest place of shame. Would you share your internet search history with everybody in this room right now? Why not? If it's so great and there's no shame there, why wouldn't you share it? Are you reminded of the times that you go to these things in your life, of your great deficits and the things in your life that aren't going okay and the fact that you feel alone, but you have to keep going back to satisfy part of your life, but it really just digs you into deeper shame? That's what this was for this woman. Every time she went to the well, she was reminded of all the things that went wrong, all the things that didn't work, all of the ways her life had fallen apart, all the mistakes that she had made. And notice her mistakes began to compound. Jesus talked about it in the story. Yeah, the guy you're living with now isn't your husband. I know that's okay in our culture today. Not okay then. This was a big no-no. Okay? And not only that, You've had five husbands. Even today's world, we'd be like, you might want to not get married again, right? Like, like, this might, you might have a relational problem, okay? But see, women, if they got divorced, took it in this culture, the consequences were far worse for them. Because in this culture, you had no identity. You couldn't own land. You couldn't have a job. You couldn't do any of these things. She's essentially homeless. She's finding a place of identity with the guy, this guy who she's living with who isn't her husband. That's how willing she is to get out of a desperate situation. How willing are you to get out of a desperate situation that you go to things that are actually harming you? What well are you going to? In this well, constantly in your life, every time you go to it, to satisfy a temporary need reminds you of your shame. And you're stuck. You're in this spiral. I want you to notice something. Jesus met her at the well. Jesus met her, not on the road to the well, not on the way to the well, at the well. He met her exactly in the way that she needed in the most unlikely of places. That tends to be where divine appointments happen. In that place where you go to satisfy your soul all of the time that's leading to more and more shame in your life is the exact place that Jesus wants to meet you. Because Jesus didn't come to save good people. He came to save lost people. And he came to rescue you out of your darkest moment, the greatest place of shame for you right now. 
That's exactly where he wants to meet you. And notice he doesn't say to her how terrible she is. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't hate her. He's going to rescue her. Some of us are trying to hide the well in our life. And Jesus is saying, that's the divine appointment. That's the place that I want to meet you. And I told all of you, you got an appointment today. What's the well you're going to that's the poison that's souring your soul and leaving you feeling shameful? You have an appointment today. Jesus wants to meet you at the well. Because he shows up in exactly what you need in the most unlikely places. See, some of us are avoiding God when we go to the well. God's everywhere. He's at the well. He's waiting for you. He wants to rescue you because God doesn't want you to have shame and guilt and fear. He wants you to have freedom. So as we get ready to go into this next clip, I want you to remember one thing. Divine appointments generally happen in the valley, not at the mountaintop. Because God's exactly where you need him to be. And I don't know about you, but I need to meet him at the well. Where's your divine appointment today? Look what happens when she starts to meet God in this next clip. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Water. You forgot your um. Fancy, 
Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm -hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You, you told her who you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean? It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing, but the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Things change, don't they? This woman had a divine appointment. And notice it just wasn't for her. It was for others. But you know what's really incredible about that story? She's the first person that he reveals himself to as Messiah. The worst of us. The one who has to go to a well in shame. The one whose life has been so messed up, she had to change her daily routine. Maybe that's you. Maybe you shop at Walmart at 2 in the morning because you don't want to. Everyone ever been to Walmart at 2 in the morning? Okay, no judgment, but I'm like, something happened in these people's lives. <laughs> I get there, and I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I just walk there, don't make no eye contact, and I'm like, Jesus would be here because he meets people at the well. He meets people in their greatest shame. And then I realized, like even in that joke, how much I'm not like Jesus. Do I love people like that? Do, am I willing? Because he was willing to meet me at my well. The one that I was going to all the time to replace him. The one that I was going to all the time to fulfill needs in my life that only he could do. The place that I would go to that made him go to a cross. He met me there. He met me at the weapon I used against him. What an incredible God we serve. This is the difference in Christianity. You want to compare Christianity to any other religion in the world? Tell me. Where God meets his people at the weapons they used to slay him to forgive them. No works, no, no scales. It's just Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace. And to forgive like that is divine. The world doesn't know forgiveness like that. The world doesn't know those kinds of things. That's why if in a movie it happens, you're like, this is incredible, because that never happens, but it did happen. It's called Calvary. It's exactly where it happened, but see, what you have to realize in this world is that so many of us, church feels like the last place that you can be. Church for you is the well. Church for you is where you come in and you're reminded of your sin and your shame and your guilt. But praise be to God that church is a place where we talk about all about the God who meets you at the well. 
where we sing to the God who forgives. We sing to the God who redeems because here's what you need to understand from this story. Jesus calls you to the appointment in spite of you, not because you're qualified to be there. So many of us feel like, I can't do these things for God. I can't live this life for God because I'm not qualified. Jesus met the woman at the well in the very thing that was showing that she was disqualified. Jesus is willing to meet you in the very thing in your life that you feel disqualified with. Because he's bigger than it. Everything that he says to her was a reminder of her disqualification. He met her in her shame. And what does he say? The Messiah does not condemn you. I don't condemn you. I'm here. I had to come here. I came here to Samaria for you. And some of us are living in Samaria in our soul. We think that good people And God will never come to that land and meet us there. And Jesus shows up at the well for her. Jesus calls us in spite of us. I told you, you have an appointment today. In that deepest, darkest place. Do you notice what she says in that story that I find so incredible? She says, the man who told me everything I ever did. Some of us in this room go, I don't want God to tell me everything I ever did. Here's the thing. He knows because he was there. He's been at the well the whole time. And every time you've gone to things to satisfy your soul that you shouldn't, he was there. That's probably one of the most freeing statements in the Bible. Behold the man who told me everything I ever did. Do you know what that means? There's no more wells. There's no more places to hide. There's no more sins to keep tucked away. There's no more things that are unspeakable. He knows everything and called you in spite of you. There's nothing to hide from him. He knows everything. And that's what she means in that phrase. I had someone tell me yesterday after church, I don't know if I'd want God to tell me all the things I had ever did. And I said, well, but he already has and he saved you in spite of him. That's freedom, right? There's things like in relationship with you that you guys think if they only knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. If they only knew this about me and these things that I had done, they would want nothing to do with me. We would cease being friends. We'd cease being married. We'd cease, uh, my kids wouldn't be able to accept me for who I am. See, we have this thing in our life that we can't be really who we are, totally vulnerable in front of people because we'll be judged and condemned. And yet the Messiah shows up at her shame and tells her everything she's ever done and says, I love you. I do not condemn you. You're free. And he says, I am the Messiah. And for the very first time, he says, go tell everybody. This is the beginning of his mission to save people. But how many of us feel like when we walk in this place, you're just, you're not qualified? A couple of years ago, I was at this like chicken, like fundraiser dinner thing. And there there was a certain group of people, I'm not going to mention them because I don't want to shame them because really the only person that needs to be ashamed is the person I met. But I walked in. I obviously didn't belong, okay? Really clear. I don't have the right last name. My last name is Harkup. 
that was changed at Ellis Island. We think our original last name may be Hetkov. We don't know. It was changed. Family came from Europe, Jewish descent, left Europe, came to the United States. They changed our name. So I was at this event, and this guy walks up to me, um, and he's talking to me, and he says, what's your last name? And I said, Harkup. He immediately stopped talking to me and turned and walked away. I didn't have the right name. I didn't have the right standing. See, my shame was in my name, in that culture. My shame was that I didn't have the right name. You know what the reality is? Is that in this life, you have the right name. Because when you know Jesus, he calls you by your real name, son and daughter. And he meets you at the well, and he says, oh, you, your shame, what you're calling yourself by is adulterer, thief, murderer. You're angry. You're mean. You're ugly. You're unworthy. And that's the name that you've been hearing. And I'm here to tell you, you have the right name in me. Your name is daughter. Your name is son. And I came here at your greatest place of shame to tell you your name. See, because he calls us in spite of us. And so maybe you're here this morning and church is the hardest place for you to be because you feel like you don't have the right name. But if you know Jesus, you definitely have the right name. You always have the right name and nothing can take that away from you. But see, what we see at the end of this passage is something really incredible. Let's go to verse 25 as we get ready to wrap up this morning. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who you speak to am he. I am the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Very first person he reveals this to, outside of the disciples, he chooses the worst person. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, her shame, Right, Because those buckets would have been a reminder of her shame and how she had to go there again, and she left her shame behind. She left the chain, the physical thing around her neck that made her feel disqualified. She left it. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. Do you think that it changed for her? She still had to go get water, but the place that was her greatest shame now became her greatest victory. See, some of us in here need to remember that the well that you think condemned you is the place that Jesus saved you. And what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. And what the enemy meant to kill you, God meant to restore you. And that's the place he saved you. And that's the greatest reminder for you now that you are redeemed. See, because the enemy can't even accuse you anymore, according to 1 Corinthians. The fiery darts of the enemy have been extinguished. He can't even make accusation against you anymore. So the place that was your death is now your greatest place of life, living water. See, that's why it's so good that Jesus meets you in your darkest moment. Because now the enemy has nothing. There's nothing. God knows everything. Behold the man who told me everything I ever did and saved me. He knows everything you've ever done. And he knows everything that you will ever do. And he saved you. And she goes into the world 
And she begins to tell people, verse 29, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of the town and were coming to him. This is what begins to happen. And see, I want you to understand something. The reason that you have a divine appointment is not just to rescue you. The reason you have a divine appointment is because you're called to call others. We're called to call others. There's other people in our life right now that are going to the well daily, and it's their greatest place of shame. It's not a place of victory. It's a reminder of their death. It's a reminder that that God doesn't want to meet them there, and we're here to tell them he's at the well. He's there. He's waiting for you. See, we're called to call others. We're called to tell the world, and that's what all of this has been leading up to. You weren't just saved so that you didn't have to live with shame. You were saved so that you could tell others about him. That's what this is all about. See, in this passage and in this moment, we see something that happens in this world that that, that changes everything. Verse 33, it's not on the screen. Just listen to this. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They don't get that he's talking about doing the will of God. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed. Here's what Jesus is saying. I've called you to call others. Here's what we've learned as we wrap up this morning, and John's going to come up. This is literally what this first moment of the Chosen series has done. It's not just a bunch of cool stories and episodes. There's a purpose. Because here's what we've learned that you've been called by name, not by your sin, not by your mistakes. You've been called by name, the one whom Jesus created you to be. And you're burnt out because you've been burdened by your sin, but you can find life serving him. See, you've been seeking, but if you seek, you will find. Are you asking to follow Jesus? You're never alone. See, the well makes you feel alone. You're never alone. He's always there. When you don't feel prepared, Jesus is preparing the way for you. That you and I in this moment have to realize we can't do it. We have to declare our dependence upon him. And that what we're looking for in life, Jesus will lead the way. But all of us have an appointment today. What is Jesus saying to you right now? See, we've been called to call others. And so this morning, Daniel's going to come and they're going to hand out elements for communion. See, because when we take communion, we remind ourselves of the moment that Jesus met us at the well. See, the Bible says that when we take communion, we're reminded that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilt for us for the remission of sin. And that place that was a reminder of your shame and death is only now a reminder of God's victory in your life and that he has overcome all those things. 
And so there's no longer a place that you need to hide. And so this morning, how do we respond? Well, the very first way to respond is you got to meet him at the well right now. And maybe for the very first time, you're going to believe that Jesus lived for you and he died for you and he rose again for you. And so whatever that thing that you've been going to your whole life, he's overcome it. And what is the greatest tragedy in your life is now the greatest victory in your life. And so maybe for the very first time, you need to accept Jesus as not just God, Lord, but you need to accept him as Savior, that he rescued you. Well, maybe you've done that in this life, but you have allowed the enemy to twist the truth and make the well a place of shame again a place that you can't meet God, a place that you have to hide, something that you have to go to to satisfy your soul because you forgot to talk to God. And you forgot that he's there and he's willing to meet you and he'll meet you there time and time again. He's always in our darkest moment. He's always in our greatest place of shame. You just need to seek him and find him. And so let me just ask all of us again, what's the appointment today? I told you, you're not here in this room and you're not online by mistake. God has something for you this morning. And I want to give us complete freedom before we get ready to take communion to do some work with God to meet him at the well. And so would you just bow your head and close your eyes as John plays. I want to give you a moment to meet God in your greatest place of shame. You don't need to hide it anymore. You've got an appointment at the well. What is God saying to you today? Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.